Please stand for the reading of God's word. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, why, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of, money cha of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. This is the word of the Lord. I'm a little confused that I didn't get a welcome the way that Gina got when she came up. I'm not sure what that was all about, but congratulations, congratulations. Um, many of you know Gina and Scott. Uh, just to let you know, uh, Scott's mom, Fran Poff, who many of us have known for decades and decades, she passed away uh, weeks ago, but their service is this coming uh, Saturday at two, no one, excuse me, at one. So we're going to be celebrating her life at one in this room the day before Easter and would love, any of you know, who know them or knew her, um, we'd love to have you there. Um, and then I was just thinking, uh, I don't see Gail here, but uh, many of you know Gail and Jim Crockett who've been part of our community for years and Jim passed away this week. And so um, it's been a hard, uh, as you can imagine, couple weeks for Gail, just really, really hard. And in some ways, um, it's a blessing. Um, I think she was like, if it's now, this would be great for it to be now. Um, but she is feeling the loss of her, her husband of, I think it was 56 years? Six, what was it? 
68 years, my goodness, 60, I wasn't even close, 68 years together. Uh, and Jim's just the sweetest man, this amazing guy. And so there'll be a service later. It's not going to happen in the next couple of weeks. But just wanted you to know that. I think Gail might be here second service. So, uh, but we love them and uh, wanted you to know that. Um, so uh, happy Holy Week to you all. We, we've entered sacred time, uh, this time of year that we set aside to remember the final uh, week of Jesus' ministry. And today, of course, is Palm Sunday. And, uh, you know, we've been in this encounter series, Encounters with Jesus, and today I'm, I'm calling this Jesus Encounter with Jerusalem. So it's his encounter with a city, and the king comes to the city of kings uh, to declare himself as the king, which is exactly what Jesus does in this passage, but he does it in some ways that are very surprising and upside down. And so I want us to kind of see the kind of king Jesus is. It's nothing new today. This is classic Palm Sunday material. Um, but really important for us to remember, who is this king that we serve? What kind of a king is he? And so I want to talk about that today. Um, I want to, just before I do that, a little context. Uh, this, this moment, as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, um, this, this kind of reads, you have, you have to imagine like a, a presidential inauguration in our country, Okay. So imagine the day that a president is inaugurated. You can picture the cavalcade going through the streets, right? The, the, the people are lining the streets. There's, people are waving American flags. There's patriotic music. There's speeches. There's secret service. It's big fanfare, and there's, there's, a, there's a patriotism, a nationalism in the air. Okay? This, is, this is as close to a first century version of that as we get. Okay, so Jesus is, um, he comes in from the Mount of Olives, and some of you have been there. You know, from the Mount of Olives, you, you look over the city of Jerusalem, and you drop down into the Kidron Valley on your way down. So Jesus, first starting from the Mount of Olives, starts stepping down towards the city, and people are lining the road in. And they're, as it says in our passage, they're, they're putting cloaks down in front of him. Uh, they're, they're putting palm branches. They're waving palm branches. Palm branches were signs of Jewish patriotism in that day. So they're doing these. It's patriotic. There's, there's a lot of hype and excitement. Um, and they're saying things, right? They're saying things like Hosanna, which means save. Save us now, Lord. Uh, and then they're quoting from the Messianic Psalms. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. They are heralding the one who they are hoping and are expecting is the coming king in the line of David who is going to uh, kick out Israel's enemies, uh, make Israel this, this, this international powerhouse again, restore the glory days of Israel. And this is what they're all expecting. They're, of course, expecting a political and maybe even a military leader. And so there's all this hype. You got to feel that. Feel like what we know what that's like every four years, what that kind of that day feels like. And I want you to, in the midst of that environment, so much expectation, so much excitement, I want us to see the kind of king Jesus is. And into this moment, Jesus does three things in our passage, what I would call them three prophetic actions, three symbolic actions that tell us the kind of king he is. And here they are. He rides in on a young donkey. He curses a fig tree. And he cleanses a temple. Okay, and I want us, all of those are showing us the kind of king that he has come to be. And I think it's just really important, you know, to say this within the context of the leadership of our day. I feel like 
many of us would, would feel like we're, we're living in a moment where there's a crisis of leadership in general, right? A lot of us look at our political leaders and we feel like there's a crisis of, of character or, or policy or do these people really, are they in this to serve or are they just in this for power? Um, I think there's a crisis often we see in corporate leadership. We see immorality going on in corporate leaders and again, just a hunger for for money, for power, and we'd have to say also, unfortunately, there's a crisis in church leadership these days in our country. We see leaders who um, are just out for their own kind of influence, uh, their own pride and ego, and so we, we, we live, I think, in a moment where leadership is in a really interesting place in our country as a whole, and so what I want to do is just present to you with our King Jesus, and the goal today is simple, just that we would see him. We would see him afresh and see the kind of king that he is and then the kind of kingdom that he offers us. Okay, so let's look at these three, what I'm calling prophetic actions. First one, of course, is the riding in on a donkey. Uh, I was studying this this week and I thought, wow, Mark gives six verses to this donkey. Like, that's a lot of ink to give to a donkey. Like, the procuring of this donkey, clearly Mark wants us to, to notice that Jesus rode in on a donkey. And I like to just point out that Jesus doesn't need to ride in on anything. There's no other place in the Gospels where he's riding an animal. I assume he is strong of foot, okay? He doesn't need an animal to, to bear him. He's doing this very intentionally. It's a symbolic action. And what he's doing in riding in on a young donkey is fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah. And so I want you to see uh, what this prophecy says. In Matthew's version, Matthew actually quotes from Zechariah to make this more explicit to us. But this is Zechariah. Uh, This is Zechariah 9, 9 through 10. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Okay, this is very prophetic, very symbolic action here. Righteous and victorious, humble, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He, will, the king, will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Uh, actually, let me go back to this, this here. And so Jesus is fulfilling this prophecy. He is definitely declaring himself to be the messianic king, but he he picks one of the only passages that connects the messianic king with this picture of humility. Okay, any other king in the day is supposed to ride in on what? What do you think they'd ride in on? A chariot or war horse. Yeah, it mentions war horses. They ride in on horses. They're they're there for, for battle and for victory, and this king rides in on a young donkey, saying, I have not come to declare war on Rome or any other enemies that you want me to declare war on. Um, I come in peace, and he comes, as we know, actually to offer himself as a sacrifice, not only for national Israel, but for the whole world. And so he's coming, as we all know, in a very different way than they hope he's coming, He's coming from a place of humility and peace to actually offer himself rather than to put himself on on a throne. And it says, the key word here that I want us to look at is that second to last line, humble. He is a humble 
king, or, or some translations say lowly or gentle. But this is a prophetic action to say, I am king, but I'm a humble king. And I was thinking this week, like, what does it actually mean for a person like Jesus to be humble? Like, what is that, what, what does this humility actually look like? And I was thinking of things that it doesn't look like, okay? First, it clearly does not mean that he is weak or that he is incompetent, right? And we find that clearly by how he procures this donkey. Isn't that a bizarre story? He tells his disciples, hey, go into the town, and there's going to be this donkey waiting for you at a certain place. And they're thinking, how on earth does he know that there's a donkey there? And then he says, if the owner comes out and says, what are you, what are you doing with my donkey? <laughs> Tell him, it's okay, the Lord needs it. And that'll work for them, right? I'm thinking, okay. And they go, and it's there, and they say the thing, and they're like, okay, you can have my donkey. Like, right? I mean, this is one of those moments where, oh, gosh, this guy's the Lord of donkeys and the Lord of donkey owners, right? Like... <laughs> I mean, this guy is not a rabbi. He's something much bigger, right, than that. He has power and knowledge, foreknowledge, and whatever else he's got. He's clearly not weak or incompetent. So his humility doesn't mean that. Um, I was thinking of other obvious things. His humility does not mean um, that he is passive or cowardly, right? We're going to find that out in just a second. He's going to go into a, a temple and open a can on these people, right, and just, like... Boom, like, oh my goodness, fierce, demanding, right? So his humility can't mean that, and his humility doesn't also mean that he always talks in self-deprecating ways about himself and never really draws attention, because sometimes he says some really audacious things about himself, like, I'm the light of the world, I'm the resurrection and the life, I'm the bread of life, I'm the very thing you need, right? he'll, He'll do all of these things. So his humility doesn't mean any of those things, So what can it mean for a man like that to be humble? And the only thing that I could think of is it it means that he is a servant. That that this man who is all-powerful and courageous and fierce and sometimes demanding and will say very amazing things about himself, that he's choosing to use his authority and his power and his wisdom to serve others. Not for his own privilege and advantage and status, but to pour himself out in order to build other people up. That, that's the only thing I could think of is what it means. For him to be humble, it means he is a servant king. It means he has come to serve. And I was just, I want you to imagine, it's such a, Palm Sunday for me is such a um, poignant dynamic. I want you to imagine being him, if you can, for, for a minute, walking down the path from Mount of Olives down all these people, right? So much hype, so much excitement, so much expectation. Every single face you're encountering filled with their own hopes, their own uh, desires and expectations for who you might be. Their their desire for you to serve them in the way that they, that they want you to serve them. And Jesus, knowing, I know exactly how I'm going to serve all of you. And it's, it's not going to be the way you want me to. It's actually going to be thoroughly disappointing to you. And it's going to cost me my life. But I love you. And I'm going to do the, the thing that you need most. I'm going to put your needs ahead of my own. And I'm going to put your real needs even ahead of your own expectations. And I will suffer for it. Because I am the servant king. 
I just love that, the, the courage, the differentiation, the, the, and the, the, just the love that he had that was, made him willing to be that kind of king for us. And I'm so grateful, because if he hadn't been, Israel would be awesome, and most of us would still be dead in our sins. So behold your servant king today. This, this is the theme I want to share this morning. So that's the first prophetic action, the riding in on a donkey. The second prophetic action we see uh, that begins in verse 12 is the cursing of the fig tree. Now, on first glance, this is one of my least favorite stories in all of the Gospels. Okay? Um, I love trees. I love nature. I, I had assumed that Jesus loved trees and that Jesus loved nature. Uh, I think of him as a gentle and patient person. Uh, and this passage, this is like hangry Jesus, right? It feels like. Like this is childish, petulant Jesus. I'm hungry. This fig tree isn't producing and curse you fig tree, right? And uh, the, the irony is it says um, he didn't find, there was only leaves. Then it says, because it was not the season for figs. I'm like, well, what do you expect, Jesus? Like what is going on here? So let me suggest that this too is a prophetic and symbolic action that goes a little bit below the surface of what it just seems at first glance. And so here's what I want to pose to you, is that in cursing this fig tree, Jesus, that's a symbol of Jesus actually cursing something else that is supposed to be bearing fruit and isn't. And if you look at our passage, I want you to think about what do you think that thing is that's supposed to be bearing fruit that isn't that Jesus might be prophetically pronouncing judgment on, okay? And if you can't figure it out, uh, Mark makes it pretty clear. He's a really good storyteller and how he tells this so intentionally. He frames um, the story of the temple cleansing with the story of the fig tree. It's kind of a fig sandwich, right? So you get fig tree cursing, story of temple, coming back to the fig tree and seeing what's happened to the fig tree. And the reason is, I think, because the fig tree is a, is a picture of the whole religious leadership and the temple system of the day that is supposed to be bearing spiritual fruit for God and is not bearing the fruit that it's supposed to be bearing. And so Jesus is coming, and as the, as the true king, he's coming to pronounce judgment and saying, you're not bearing the fruit you're supposed to, and I'm judging this system, and I'm going to replace it with myself, with one who will bear fruit for God. So I think that's what's happening in the, in the cursing of the fig tree. And so with that, let's then go to the third action that is, I think, a prophetic action, which is the cleansing of the temple, which we see uh, beginning in verse 15. And wild moment, right, in Jesus' ministry. But um, before we look at what he did, I, I just want to make sure we understand um, what was happening when Jesus walks into the temple, where he is, and what's happening that, that leads him to do the, the dramatic thing that he does. So here's a, um, there's a really, in Jerusalem, there's a really neat um, reconstruction of the ancient uh, city, including the temple. So this is a little uh, reconstruction, uh, not to scale, um, but a cool reconstruction of the temple. And so Jesus is, is in the, that, out, outward, that outside courtyard. That's the, it's called the court of the Gentiles. 
So both sides, court of the Gentiles, that's where Gentiles, that's the part of the temple grounds that the Gentiles can be on. That's where Jesus is when he does this. Then you go inside that first door in the front and you can get into a, it's called the court of the women. So Jewish women can go into there and Jewish men, of course. And then you go into another court, which is the, where the Jewish men can be. And then, of course, the priests and the Holy of Holies. So the whole temple system is sort of laid out a little bit in, in an outsider, insider is kind of how it works. And so Gentiles are you know, only admitted so far. And that's where Jesus is. And he comes into that area. And verse 15 and 16 tell us that he sees three things happening. And I'll mention, first he sees buying and selling, and specifically selling of doves. So what's happening is people are selling animals for temple sacrifice. So if you're a if you're a person who wants to worship God, maybe you came down from Galilee, you took a little pilgrimage, or you just came a day trip over, and you're going to go worship. And part of that is you offer an animal sacrifice worship. But you don't bring the animal all the way from your home. You come there, and in the very temple grounds, it should be outside the temple grounds, but they'll sell you an animal for sacrifice. And of course, they charge you, um, they sell them for really high prices, right? Because where else are you going to go to get a sacrificial animal? There's nowhere else to go. So they've got a monopoly, and so they're, they're selling them at really high prices. Uh, and then it mentions uh, that they're also money changers. So if you come into the temple, um, you're not allowed to use Roman money. Roman money has like images of Caesar on it, and that would be sacrilege in the temple. So you have to have Temple money. It's the only place that this, this money was used. And so you need to exchange your money for temple money. And of course, the people that exchange it exchange at a very high, unfair exchange rate. Uh, and then there's one other thing that's happening that I had never noticed um, until this week is that people are carrying merchandise through the temple. The, through the temple court. So they're not selling it in the temple court. So let's say you live up in Bethany and you're a merchant. You come into the city each day to the marketplace to sell your merchandise, but you pass through the temple courts. It's a shortcut to the heart of the city, okay? So you're just bringing your stuff through. So this court of the Gentiles, that's part of the temple that is supposed to be this place of, of worship and serenity and contemplation for Gentiles has been turned into a just a, a chaotic bazaar, essentially, right? It's just a, it's a marketplace. It's, it's uh, utterly um, impossible to worship. And um, I guarantee you, if you go beyond the court of the Gentiles into the other courts, that area is quiet and calm and serene. So if you're a Jew, if you're not an outsider, you can worship God. But if you're an outsider, you're in this, it's, it's almost impossible to focus on God. And all of this is being controlled by the priestly aristocracy of the day. And what is so clear is they are not humble leaders like Jesus, meaning they use their power for their own advantage. They don't really care about the worship of the common person. They just want to hold on to their wealth and their positions of power and influence. They are the fig tree that is not producing fruit. So that's, just want you to get a sense of what's going on when Jesus enters. And I want to just, I want to point out what Jesus does and what Jesus says. So first, as you know, he's, it says here, um, he began driving out those who are buying and selling. He's overturning the money changers and he's not letting people who are trying to pass through the, with their merchandise. He's kicking them out saying, go, the, go around, go, don't be in God's temple. Okay, he's just creating a scene. And I was thinking this week, um, one man 
in a, in a court of hundreds of people is doing this and no one's able to stop him. And I was just thinking like, what was like the, the physical authority that Jesus could sometimes display if he wanted? I don't, I don't picture him a particularly large guy, but like there's one guy going after this and they can't stop the authority that his, his presence carries. No one is able to stop him from doing this. It's pretty amazing. I was also thinking um, this would have been the most uncomfortable moment of my career if I was one of his disciples. I've told you I would have hated being one of Jesus' disciples. Um, the things he does socially and, it's, and this would have been the worst. I would have probably just ran out of the place and I would have been gone. Like the, the tension that he's creating in this moment is in the temple of God, this young 33-year-old rabbi. It's just wild, okay? So he is, he is cleansing God's temple. He's pronouncing judgment on the system of the day. And he pronounces words in this moment. Look at verse 17. And as he taught him, he said, "'Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer,' for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Okay, he's quoting two Old Testament prophets there, uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah. First Isaiah, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And throughout my life, I've always focused, I'll bet most of us when we hear that quote, we focus on the house of prayer part, right? Like this place is chaotic, this is supposed to be a house of prayer, and he's saying that. But what I was caught by this week is how that ends. My house should be a house of prayer for all nations. God is inviting the nations to pray to him, the outsider, not just the insider, to pray to him. And you guys have turned this place into an insider-outsider thing. And so the elite are able to enjoy and worship God in peace and serenity, but the commoner or the poor or the outcast or the outsider, they're the ones that aren't able to worship. And I want to just read to you the full quote in Isaiah because that really comes through. And I want you to see the heart of your king today for the outsider. So this is Isaiah uh, 56 that he's quoting. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right, for my salvation is close at hand, and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his temple. Right? Don't let the foreigner say that. And let no eunuch, you know what a eunuch is? Right? They're kind of these, um, what's the word? I'm like, uh, outsiders in a, in a way, right? Um, different. Let them not say, I'm only a dry tree. Right? I'll never have children. Uh, to the eunuchs who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Why? For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And I thought in context, that's what Jesus is after right here. That's what Jesus is passionate about. Yes, he's passionate about for his father's house, and his father's house is being desecrated by all this, but he's passionate for the outsider, for the vulnerable, for the one that doesn't fit in. He has care for them. They're being mistreated. They're being, injustice is being done to them. And so it's not just anger that is driving him. It is, it is his servant's heart for people who don't have someone else to defend them. He's stepping in and saying, I will be the king who will defend 
what apparently the leadership is not defending. These people who deserve God and no one cares, I will be the king who serves those kinds of people. And then he quotes Jeremiah 7. That, that phrase, den of robbers, comes from Jeremiah. Let me read it to you. Will you steal? Think about this to the religious leaders of the day. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, and follow other gods you've not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say, oh, we're safe. What, safe to do all these detestable things? Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. God really doesn't like it when, when his people, and especially the leaders, are unjust and they're unloving, but then they presume to come in and, and worship God and say, we still have privileged status because we have the temple and worshiping God. And so Jesus is bringing those two Old Testament prophecies saying this is taking place in this time. And now the king has come to clean house and honor the people that God honors and to defend the people that God wants defended. And you leaders, you are, you are worthless shepherds. You're not shepherds. You've grown, you've grown fat on your sheep. And uh, it's time for a new leadership. And I am the new king who's here. And uh, if, in case you're wondering, the, the chief priests, the religious leaders, they message received loud and clear. Look at verse 18. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him because they feared him. Right? Jesus has performed an action. There is no going back after this. They have to, the leaders have to conclude either this guy's right and we need to step down or we need to take care of this guy. There's not room in the city for both of us. And so Jesus, in defending the outsider in this moment, is also knowingly sealing his own fate. He has just committed something that he knows this act will get me killed. Uh, and he does it anyways. So there you have it. Um, three seemingly unrelated prophetic actions that I think all move us to a similar place. The riding in of a donkey, the cursing of a fig tree, the cleansing of a temple. Jesus, I think, in his way, in all of these saying, I have come as king, but I am the humble king. I am the servant king, the one who uses his authority on behalf of those who need defending, who need love, who need care. I pour myself out. I am the grain of wheat that falls to the ground and dies so that many others may receive spiritual life. And so, as I said at the beginning, it's a very common theme, right? It's Palm Sunday, and we talk about our humble king. And I want to present him to you today as we enter into Holy Week, as you go through the next seven days. Let's be focused on our servant king who is fierce and powerful, all-powerful, and yet who pours himself out for his people. And I invite you to think of just two ways of doing that. One is this. Uh, we sang the song uh, at the beginning, All the Poor and Powerless. And I would, I would invite you this week to consider, where do you feel poor and powerless in your life right now? Um, we all probably have an area of a life where we feel, gosh, I just feel, I feel burdened. I feel anxious, I feel poor, I feel powerless, I feel vulnerable, broken, uh, whatever it might be. I want to remind you that especially in whatever that thing is for you, you have a king who is humble 
and who, who longs to serve you and meet you precisely in that place. Um, I was thinking of Jesus' famous invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And here's what I was really thinking about. For I'm gentle and I'm humble, and you'll find rest for your souls. For me, sometimes it's really interesting. In places where I'm, the, the challenges of my life, uh, the places where I'm feeling broken or just burdened, uh, I sometimes still struggle. Like, what is Jesus' heart for me in this place? And sometimes I, I don't like what my heart's answer is. Sometimes like, I, I think he's kind of like, you kind of deserve this. You know, you, you deserve, and maybe I do deserve it. You know, it's possible. But um, I don't always have this heart posture that says, no, Jesus is a king who longs to meet me in this place to serve me that I might find rest, my soul. Humble people are such refreshing people to be around. And so he longs for my soul to be refreshed in that place. And so I want to invite you to consider what would it look like to come to Jesus, your servant king, especially in that place of sin, pain, burden, anxiety, whatever it is for you, that he might minister to you. And then finally, I would just say, where, where is it that, as his people, where do we need to walk in his humble servant way? And I would especially to consider places where you have a level of authority. It might be in your family, it might be in your work, um, it might be in your community, but where you have a place of some level of responsibility and authority, what would it look like for you to step into the Jesus way of authority? which is I'm going to use this power, this authority that God has given me, not for my own status, not for my own comfort, but I'm going to use it to try to serve the people I lead. I'm going to, I'm going to use this authority to empower and equip and to love and to care for those people. Because the thing about this humble king is um, if we are prideful, he will become an adversary to us in our place of pride. And the temple cleansing is quite clear about that. Uh, he wants us to have that same humble heart, that servant's heart. So what would it look like for you in, in a particular context? Say, I want to I lead, I want to use this responsibility in a way that reflects a servant's heart for the people I serve and follow in the way of Jesus. So Palm Sunday, welcome to Holy Week. Behold your servant king. Let me pray for us and then we'll sing to our servant king. Lord Jesus, we greet you uh, this first morning of Easter week, and we want to declare that you are our king, that all power and authority and glory belongs to you, and we also declare and we give you thanks because you're a humble king, you're a loving king, you're a servant king, and every single one of us has been served by you in really profound ways. Lord, may, may we encounter you this week, throughout each day, reminded of your care for us, your love for us, and also equipped to step into the world as ambassadors for this new kingdom way of, of love and service and humility. 
for the sake of others, Lord. May your kingdom come this week in and around us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.